Hi, I'm Michael and welcome to Beyond the Screenplay. Today we are talking about 2015's Inside Out, one of my favorite movies, uh, and I'm joined by the Lessons from the Screenplay team, writer Trisha Arand. Hello, everybody. Writer Brian Bittner. Hello, hello. And editor Alex Cayeros. Hello. So Inside Out is amazing. Um, <laughs> and it is uh, one of the videos I did what feels early on now, um, but it was kind of a departure in terms of like the format of the videos for the channel, because this was kind of the first one where I tried to talk about process. And mm -hmm. in the Inside Out Blu-ray, there's a lot of really good making of material that sort of goes into Pete Doctor, who directed it and co-wrote it, his process of finding what the story is and the questions he wanted to answer and all these things. Um, so the video talks a lot about his process of trying to understand why his little girl wasn't happy anymore when she became a teenager and, mm -hmm. and just kind of the the evolution that happens as we all grow up and lose the innocence of childhood and et cetera. Um, but yeah, so, so what I also love about the movie that I want to talk about today is just how it's like the perfect example of story structure. Like it's the one I always go to in my head um, because everything is just right there on the surface. And mm -hmm. I didn't pick that up the first time I saw it because the first time I saw it, I was just trying not to cry the whole <laughs> the entire time. time. So, uh, yeah, that, I think this podcast for me is just going to be trying not to cry while talking about <laughs> make, make no guarantees. We won't be crying. No, I mean, I just, you know, one of those things that we do where we talk about our just impressions of this movie. It is so beautiful. Um, it's really we don't get original content like this very often anymore right, it right. feels like it was i think i read it was one of the highest or is the highest grossing like original yeah um story opening of any uh, definitely any animated movie i think in the last however many years and it is such an original and truly inventive approach to a story and it works so well for the reasons that you're talking about, but also because it so completely uh, encapsulates this world and it's really fully realized and really intricate and it just it's excellent uh, executed just at the highest possible level. It's really great and it doesn't depend on any existing source material or any like prior knowledge of the character or franchise or anything like that. I love Pixar's franchises. I'm Pretty excited for Toy Story 4. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I love Toy Story 3. Talk yeah. about crying. <laughs> oh, I mean, yeah, exactly. But I'm kind of glad that Pete Doctor has said that Inside Out, he is going to be a standalone movie pretty much. Like, it's okay to have those. Yeah. Can we have those? <laughs> I mean, seriously. <laughs> well, it's unfortunate. Like, The Incredibles, I love that movie so much. And when they finally announced they were doing a second one, I said, great, I'm on board. And then it came out and the reviews weren't good and I still haven't seen it. And I'm like, don't don't sour your thing you know when you have something that's like beautiful on its own sometimes it maybe and you know toy story is a great example of sometimes you can make a trilogy that people love and who knows how the fourth one will be yeah. but yeah. inside out's not a movie i want to see more of i'm just like the incredibles I love 2 these. is okay sure yeah. i'm not saying yeah. it's bad but like um but inside out's one of those movies where i don't like i love those characters and stuff mm -hmm. and i'd love to see more of them but also i kind of want it to just exist in its own as its yeah, it's, yeah, it's, it's totally. such a perfect package, and yeah. you know the arc that it traces from leaving the innocence of childhood, and I mean, there's so much to talk about with this, with this movie, mm -hmm. but the brilliance of it just explores every possible thing about the brain and yeah. emotion and the subconscious, like it, it's like everything you ever wanted to explore about human psychology 
in the most amazing like storytelling package. And I just I when I watch it again, I'm like, they they do everything. They yeah. cover everything. They go into dreams. They go into like deja vu and yeah, abstract <laughs> thinking. Yeah, core memories, yeah. how like these define you and how they're more complicated at the end. They have multiple mm-hmm. colors on them. Like it's I just I can't imagine how much work went into like basically you know, doing everything you possibly could with like the human brain and pulling it off in a way that feels effortless. Too. Yes, yes. Like, yeah. it's not entertaining and fun, but it's also doing all these yeah. things. It's all necessary for the story. Like it's right. it's not happening. It's not like kind of just being piled on as like extra stuff just to like stuff it in there. It all naturally comes out of the story, which is so mind blowing. Yeah, and it's so accessible. I remember reading that critics at the time, you know, loved it instantly. And it has one of the highest ratings on Rotten Tomatoes ever. It's still like at a 98% on Rotten Tomatoes. I feel like it's Tomatoes. like the best movie ever. Like <laughs> Citizen Kane, like maybe is ahead of it. <laughs> like how I would rank them. Critics at the time were worried that they, they loved it and they were worried that it, kids wouldn't like it though because it was so complex and mm. um, that kids wouldn't really respond to it. It's not really truly a family movie. And then kids loved it. And... Uh, child psychologists were saying like thank goodness we have this movie now that we can give this language to children so they can understand and process how they're feeling and like how what a gift as a filmmaker to be able to further people's knowledge of themselves which i guess all movies are really capable of but in this very uh specific way it's so good few movies like give children like new tools to understand themselves right so so literally and directly as this one exactly but once again you're entertained the whole time it's not a preachy feeling movie it's yeah it does it all through really amazing entertainment really emotional storytelling well, and I think what makes it so powerful is that it, it isn't just kids that are getting that lesson, too. Yeah. Like, I think in general, our society Definitely. is not one where we talk about emotions and know how to express complex feelings. Of course. And so, yeah, having this framework both for kids and as adults to, like, talk about what's going on and kind of even if, if you're not using the language of, like, anger is driving right now we're like mm-hmm. grossness wait what is it disgust disgust, disgust right yeah. yeah grossness grossness <laughs> that's what mine is called <laughs> grossness um but just just the idea that like as we get older like memories like you were saying alex can be complex they're not just happy or sad they can be both they can right. be a lot of things and just like having that kind of acknowledged and said out loud i think is a very yeah useful thing i had an interesting experience just this morning i my mom is visiting and uh i showed her the trailer to inside out i said oh, let me show you the trailer to this movie that we're doing and i'll tell you about it and as soon as it started she said oh it's it's animated and uh then she she sort of after the trailer she said so it's a, it's a kids movie and I sort of said well mm-hmm. and I explained the plot to her and she said oh that sounds complicated and I said well yeah that, and she doesn't really know she doesn't know what a Pixar is you know yeah uh, <laughs> and um, what is a Pixar yeah and uh, so then I uh, you know I told her about it. I said well yeah the, the, what's great about these movies is they sort of a- a- appeal to yeah. different audiences and stuff and then I showed her the opening scene of Up. Oh, you did not! Um, and very cruel. quickly, she was so engaged yeah. and like started almost like crying and everything. Yep. And I was like, "Yeah, that's what Pixar." <laughs> well, that's Pete Doctor. Sure, yeah, yeah. Pete Doctor. But even good, like good looking man. like Finding Nemo, like it, th- yes, the similar of similar thing where Andrew Stanton talks about 
his own experience with his, you know, uh, fatherhood and that kind of thing. And how sometimes these movies are so powerful because they come from such a real intimate place, mm-hmm. not just let's make a kid's movie about some silly things, you know. Well, and Pixar has never been afraid of just going there. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, that's, that's what is so special about Pixar. You see other kind of some DreamWorks movies and they have that kind of irony and kind of safe distance. Right. And any emotional moments are kind of just, I don't know. They're, they're, Contrived. Those, those shallow. Yeah. You know, it's time for the emotional moment now. Whereas, yeah, Pixar movies at their best, I think, come from these really deep places and they're not afraid to touch, you know, dark, you know, dark material. Yeah. Very yeah. heavy material. Yeah. yeah. Well, and so one of the things that Meg Lafave, who co-wrote it, and she has this amazing uh, interview on the podcast, the Q&A with Jeff Goldsmith, that I think if you want to be a screenwriter, you must go listen to that right yes. now. It's so, 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 so good. Um, but one of the things she talked about, one of the big challenges is the number of rules that are have to be established for this movie and rewatching mm-hmm. it. I was thinking about that and kept that in my mind and I was I feel like you don't realize everything has to be explained and there's so it's a very complicated mechanic where there's memories but there's core memories and some are certain colors which attach themselves to emotions but like if all of a sudden if sadness touches one it'll become permanent and like Mm -hmm. and just how the mind works long-term storage they're vacuuming out islands of personality yeah (laughs) Yeah, that are powered by the so when this one goes down those like it's a it's a lot of things to juggle and she said that was one of the biggest hurdles is how do you get all that exposition done in a way that's entertaining and moving the story forward and it's really impressive that's that's why it's so remarkable because you never feel like it's too much but it's a lot like when i was watching it again wow they really do they do so many different metaphors for different parts of human psychology and they're like really clever really unique metaphors and there's like a hundred of them in the movie yeah exactly this is a lot yeah well it works really well because they're also visual. So like when you think about the islands of personality and you think about like, first of all, their distance from sort of the central headquarters makes a lot of sense where it's like there's this vast sort of unknowable, unconscious like pit Mm -hmm. in the middle. And then you have this, you know, structured world around it with these islands of personality that are connected, but are not driving Riley in the same way that her emotions moment to moment are. It's very visual how that's conveyed and it works really well. We sort of intuitively grasp like, okay, these are, they're, they're distant from our moment to moment life. They're permanent. And then also the way that they like start up and move when that part of her personality is being engaged. It's like, oh, good. Family Island is running. You right, know? right, right. Um, again, all of that's visually conveyed and visually buried in there. So it really helps with all of that expository stuff. And they're also such primal ideas. You know, yes. it, it's not like, oh. In her head is Larry, Barry, and Harry, and one controls the arms and one controls the legs. It's like, no, there's joy, there's disgust, there's anger. Like, it takes you five seconds to go, okay, I get it. I know what this thing is, you know. Mm -hmm. It's actually, I just have to say this really quick. It's actually very similar to a short play that I wrote when I was 14, Mm -hmm. something like that. I wrote a skit for my school something and it was taking place inside of somebody's head and it was basically like a star trek um bridge yeah. bridge yeah. area <laughs> where there were two people driving and one was like mind and one was heart and they were arguing with each other and they were driving and then all of the other different 
they were the five senses basically. So then like eyes was doing something and then like, yeah, but this sort of, we do understand those relationships because we all feel pulled in these different directions like all the time. So it's what you were saying, simple and clean and easy to understand. Well, there's also the, uh, the early nineties sitcom Herman's head. Oh yeah, which was literally, literally this. Uh, yeah, you guys are you guys are a little bit younger than me. Um, so uh, yeah, Herman's Head was a, a, just a sort of kind of corny sitcom about a guy who works in an office and has friends and relationships and whatever. But inside his head are intelligence, anxiety, sensitivity, and lust. Wow, and lust is like just like a you know gross yeah. uh, sports loving dude. You know, sensitivity is. Um, is just like a like a sweet woman. Anxiety is like a guy with a bow tie who's always freaking out. And intelligence is Niles Crane, basically, you know. <laughs> and so then every time they're, you know, so it's the complete opposite tonally from Inside Out, sure. but it's the exact same premise, basically, is that they are fighting over. Oh, they're, they're in their head arguing about what should we do in the situation? You know, oh, this girl is here and she's vulnerable, but she is married to my friend. And so lust is like, who cares? And sensitivity is like, let's listen to her, and you know, all that kind of stuff. Uh, so. I kind of, for me, it was like when I saw the trailer to Inside Out, I thought, oh, I've I've seen this before. But also it's like we talked in the adaptation thing. You can do something that's kind of been done before or like a that almost seems gimmicky or almost seems too easy. But if you do it, if you do it well and you do it with this much sort of professionalism and, and you know, it, it absolutely works. Well, so my question is then, is Herman in that show, is Herman a different character than the ones that are living inside his head? Or are they him essentially? There, I would say he. I mean, he's just a normal person. Okay. You know, he's like a vanilla yeah. dude, basically. But then he, he, the different, like literally, when he, uh, they have to tie up lust at one point. So the other three are tying up <laughs> lust so that he can let this girl walk out of his apartment without. Oh you know. wow! <laughs> yeah, uh, it has Early aged 90s. well in terms Problems. of yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, because I think one of the smartest things about Inside Out is that Riley is sort of a separate character mm-hmm. from the other five. It works really well because it almost allows them to, and and I think you were talking about this in your original video, Michael, but the approach of the writers was essentially like these emotions, these five emotions are sort of parenting her where she exists outside of them. And they say like, we are, we're doing this or we're doing that, but they aren't, they aren't Riley. Mm-hmm. Riley sort of exists outside of them and they their relationship to her is one of love like they they're just trying to they love her so much they're just trying to help her through all of this and so it it uncomplicates that in a pretty necessary way I think yeah well I think it, it could also be taken as a really interesting statement about who are we you know what is you know what is consciousness right. mm-hmm. who are we like we are not our emotions our emotions are this separate thing kind of happening to us yeah and it's you know, it's almost it's almost allowing people. If you take this metaphor literally from inside out, it's you're not necessarily responsible for your, all your emotions. You're responsible for maybe what to do once they hit, but you are not your emotions. They are hitting you, and you then choose what to do with that. But um, I kind of like separating out emotions from one's actual identity. Exactly. Yeah, and it's it's cool that the story is also talking about like what happens if you try to push out some emotions and try to only feel right. the ones right. that you're comfortable feeling. Right. And I think that's, and so I think that's also why it, this just works so well as an example of like archetypal story structure. But by, by the way, yeah. every time I just want to be a note of this, like every time Michael and I are working on a project, a writing project, 
at some point he'll, he'll be like inside out we got to pull up the scene from inside out this is like <laughs> this is the perfect midpoint inside out's got the perfect thing well if they've been listening it's to the tough. podcast they've heard him also right talk yeah. about also on the on podcast, podcast yeah. all the time yeah, yeah. Like, literally we're working on like some uh, a script recently and he like pulled up multiple scenes from inside out of like but how does inside out do it Anyway, but it is, it's a good it's, example. It's a good the, example. Yeah, it, it's the perfect example of like when they're writing, you know, what they're writing in these screenwriting books and you're trying, if you're trying to visualize it and have an example of like, what does this look like in practice? Inside Out is that. And it's so accessible because as I've said before, uh, the characters are their journeys, right? Like, so joy is joy and joy needs to learn to embrace sadness. Like literally it's all there on the surface. That is the theme. Right. Yeah. <laughs> and like, there's the, like the inciting incident where they get taken to a whole other world. It's very clear. Like she and sadness mm-hmm. are sent off into the world of the mind, the midpoint where the protagonist learns part of the message, but like doesn't fully get it is literally mm-hmm. joy is trying to cheer up bing bong. Cause mm-hmm. trying to go somewhere and it's not working and then sadness comes in and just like listens and lets him be sad and it works yeah. and so joy you see her kind of like put the dots together mm-hmm. but she doesn't get to finish it uh and then just i feel like it's the best example of the, the that crisis point right where like at the end of act two there's the moment where the protagonist has kind of learned like she's and sadness are getting along but she hasn't quite learned it and so at that last moment she decides to leave sadness behind because she thinks that's the only way to do it and it ends up backfiring and she's down there with bing bong and all hope is lost it's only at that moment that she has to learn to embrace sadness and then there's the whole part where like she can escape but not without sacrificing something and Mm -hmm. that's where bing bong comes in and everybody cries it's just thanos snaps and (laughs) (laughs) And Bing Bong disappears. Anyway, yeah, it's it's if you want to see structure laid out in an enjoyable movie, Inside Out is such a good example of yeah. that, and I'm obsessed with it for that I, reason. I also like that there are these sort of Trish, as you were talking about, Riley is a different character, so mm-hmm. it's like you have these dual protagonists. You know, yeah, Joy is sort of unquestionably the protagonist of Inside Out, but you're also following the real life. You know, on the outside of the body, you're you're following Riley and her, and they have sort of the same goal they need to get to the same place but they're very different characters and they um they have different ways of going about it you know so it's kind of neat to follow those two stories where you're like even though i'm not even i'm not even like at as invested in riley's story but i still just love this character and this family and like watching them interact um and that's also the animation i just love how oh yeah i love the way they look yeah yeah, the humanity of it's just like i I would find myself tearing up just when they were like having fun together and i'm like this is such a nice especially like the dad's eyes yeah yeah. the the, the eyes they really nail on this one yeah yeah Yeah. i I saw um miyazaki's castle in the sky a couple weeks ago and uh there's a moment where the uh one of the main characters is a little boy he takes out a trumpet to blow it uh, for like the morning, like revelry kind of thing. And he blows it. And it goes like, and he kind of like wets his lips and then blows it again. And I just thought it's animation. And like, they didn't have to do that moment. That moment cost them time and money, but that <laughs> moment just made me go, I'm watching a human being right now. Right. You know, I love the, love well, those. And, and Pixar is full of those moments. And Doctor is a huge Miyazaki fan. Like, oh, really? He, yeah, he is. Like one of his major influences. He's talked about it multiple times and he worked on- uh, House he, Moving Castle. Yeah, House yeah. Moving Castle. Oh, really? The, like American, yeah, he did. So it totally makes sense. But I think what you're talking about, about Riley and like why we are invested in her, I think we are, we get so invested in her because of what I was saying earlier about how much the emotions love her and how much joy loves her. Like mm. they really do have to spend that amount of time in the first act establishing that deep connection. Joy is the first emotion that is there. 
and she is so connected and engaged that beautiful scene where they're skating like you know um riley is skating on the pond and joy pulls it up even though she's supposed to be like showing a dream or whatever Mm -hmm. she's like i'm not supposed to do this but i'm gonna pull up this beautiful memory and then when they're skating unless you have that moment we become so so much less invested in riley and riley's story and so that is what really sells us on joy's journey because it's everything to her riley is everything to joy um and so yeah very effective so moving beautiful and i think it's also why it's a good example of having a protagonist that is flawed that is still like likable and that you're on the side of because i think that's something i think about when writing a lot as a challenge is like how do you make sure your protagonist has a flaw that needs to be changed and it's like a deeply rooted flaw that's causing problems but you also need to be on their team and like them and be kind of with them on that journey and i think joy is such a great example how they designed her to have that thing where you you, you're rooting for joy it's like on the surface it makes sense like joy like let's have everything be happy and i think having her be connected to riley in that way helps you connect also Mm -hmm. well it's fascinating in your video you were talking about their process and that point in their process because they worked on this movie for years Mm -hmm. and years and years which just sounds exhausting to me when i read about it (laughs) But that point in their process where Joy was mean. I feel like Ugh, Pixar has had this like, problem with a few movies. I think the original Toy Story, Woody was like super mean. Mm. Like I remember seeing them behind the scenes and they had the same kind of like storyboards up. And Woody was just like yelling at everybody and like almost like a dictator of the toys. And and it's like it's interesting. That's like the first instinct is like they're a flawed character. Make them super flawed. Mm. But then you you realize oh they're flawed in like this deeper way that's not on the surface. Yeah. Well, especially with Joy, like it it doesn't make sense to make Joy be an angry character. Or right. Angry right. Character. Of course not. What makes sense, uh, you know, as you point out in the in the video, Michael, is um, to make her make Joy be her facade almost. You know, because right. mm-hmm. already you have emotions who are three dimensional characters, which kind of doesn't make sense. <laughs> but it makes for a much more interesting movie. That like, oh, sadness can be happy about something, and anger can be worried about something. Um, but especially Joy, you have to go really three dimensional with her. But there's always this facade of, hey guys, it's fine. I have a I have an idea. Like I'm really worried about this thing, but I'm just going to pretend everything's fine and hopefully everything will be fine. And that's you know that's the root of all drama basically is to have that facade, but to have her facade sort of be who are, who she's supposed to be, mm-hmm. and, but also deeply you know under underneath the surface, there's more to it. And then that's also what the meta story is about, about right. having Riley go through the same thing. Like, it's just, yeah. What's and at that? her darkest moment, she cries and Joy lets herself be sad. Yeah. Yes, exactly. Perfect structure. Yeah, well, it's that it's that idea that we've all heard before, which is that your weaknesses are your strengths just pushed too far, right? Mm. So that idea that Joy's, it's, Joy's incredible and what she gives to Riley is beautiful and incredible. And like, she... Riley is overall a very joyful kid and a happy character and all this stuff. And that's because of joy. And so we see all the merit of what joy is doing. Um, And in that moment where Riley's so disappointed that she's moved into this new house and she's sad, the moving van's not there and all the, everyone else, all the other emotions are freaking out and joy's like, no, I'm going to, I have an idea. We're going to play hockey with her parents. And you see the, how beautiful and valuable that is. And it gets you again right onto Joy's side where you're there with her and you're like, she is helping Riley. She's saving Riley from some of the difficulty that she's in. But then pushed to an extreme, 
is what causes all of her problems where she can't let Riley feel sadness and that is what Riley needs to feel. So it's a really smart approach to a character flaw. And I guess it did take them a while to get there, but it works so Uh, well. I think it's a great example of what, you know, it shows what can happen when you take your time with story development, you know, because there's so many different versions of this movie that would not have been as good. And this is like such an amazing, perfect version of itself. I I can't imagine how long this took (laughs) to to think of all these different aspects of this movie and make it work together so holistically. I think the number's four years. Four years. Yeah. (sighs) And they were pretty much pitching as they were developing because they they developed it in a writer's room, essentially. Mm -hmm. Half women, by the way, very important. They were basically developing it in a writer's room and then they were constantly having to report on it and like pitch it and keep pitching it and keep pitching it over and over to all the like grand high mucky mucks at Pixar. And, and they knew there were like, at, even as they were developing it, each version, it's getting closer, but it's not there. They knew there were problems with it. I'm sure mm-hmm. Michael knows a lot more about the development. Well, because one of the things we talk about in the video is, and that it, I think it was really cool for them to put on the Blu-ray yeah. extra features as Pete doctor went into it, you know, knowing that he wanted to, look at something that was real and from his life and the thing he always struggled with as a child was fear and so originally joy was paired with fear because he thought that was you know what he needed to learn um and it it seems like it was basically only when they were kind of getting down to it and it still wasn't working and he was trying to make fear be the right component but it wasn't happening that he went on this walk through the woods mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. videotaped himself realizing <laughs> uh, as we all do right <laughs> Uh, that sadness is the answer. And I think that's, I, I like that um, idea. And an, another thing that Meg LaFave says in that interview in the Q&A with Jeff Goldsmith is that if you're writing a story in which a character has a catharsis, odds are you probably need to have a catharsis too. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that's just, it's a cool way to look at it. I think that if you're trying to make something that's honest and emotional you have yeah. to allow yourself to be honest and emotional and that's also what this movie is about in a lot of ways but i think it's a really important lesson for any kind of storyteller it's also a good lesson in don't be attached to your first kind of direction yeah because it's you know i have that problem sometimes where it's like oh my brilliant idea is going to have this twist at the end and it's going to all lead up to this thing but maybe that's not actually what this thing is that's how you kind of got started on this journey but where it actually wants to go somewhere totally different and it's important to be open to that and not be forcing something into your predetermined idea. Because if they had stuck with fear, yeah, I wouldn't like this movie as much. The The whole, you know, deep emotional catharsis is the fact that sadness... The opposite is, of joy. Yeah, yeah. And, yeah. And it's this thing that we all push away in our lives, especially here in, in America. We have this, you know, very optimistic... Well, maybe not <laughs> yeah. so much anymore. But we used to have this very <laughs> optimistic progress, you know, mentality. And it doesn't leave much room for just like feeling bad sometimes pete doctor i was reading in that like sort of dark moment that he was having where he realized the story wasn't working and he ended up going on that walk he was imagining he kind of thought he was going to get fired and he was imagining how sad he would be to say goodbye to everybody at pixar and to have to leave that place where he felt he was known and cared for and and that kind of like that catharsis that kind of gave him the key of like the people that know me the most are the ones that I cry with and for and really honest and raw realization and one that I think is the only thing that makes this movie 
have the just emotional impact that it does. This movie's devastating. <laughs> well, it gets <laughs> it pretty really dark is. when she's running away and like oh, yeah. her like emotions are like shutting down. Mm-hmm. Like, oh it's like it's like this is like a metaphor for, like for depression. Now yeah, this is yeah. like getting really serious. Yeah. It's like she's not going to feel anything anymore. Well, part of that, I'm going to get real here for a minute cuz this is an inside out podcast. We might as well. Part of that I think is because the crisis that they, the external crisis that they introduce is this moving to a new place. I think it's so relatable how isolated you feel, how lonely you feel, how out of place, out of touch. So I grew up in, in a military family. So I moved every three years that I was growing up. And I moved when I was 10, very close to Riley's age. And then I moved again when I was 15. And that was sort of like my last big move. And first of all, no one told me this movie was about moving. <laughs> and so I went, into, I went into it and I was like, oh, my God, the crisis is that they're moving. And I just regressed immediately <laughs> to being nine years old and 10 years old lying face down on the floor in my new empty house crying my eyes out because that's how it feels and reading about the development of this movie they tried a couple of different kinds of things like the original thing was a thanksgiving day pageant and riley wanted to be the star oh, right yeah it doesn't have the same impact as being pulled away from all of this stuff and right. it works it's just Tapping into something that is so fundamental of an experience, because whether or not we did it as a kid, we have all moved to a new place at some point, maybe not thousands of miles away, maybe just a new house or a new school or whatever, or a friend moved away. Any any one of right. those things, we know how that feels and how, uh, yeah, just sad and isolating it can be. And how the most exciting moments, it. but also the most scary. Exactly. You know? It's really, really smart writing. And I'm glad that they didn't settle on their first idea like you were saying, Alex. Yeah. yeah. Well, because I, I feel like it's it works, obviously, like for you, Trisha, someone that has experienced that. But as someone who didn't move at all as a child until I went away to college, I feel like it's still that idea is an experience that's really relatable. Any massive change in your life. Right. Sure. And even just like starting like middle school for the first time. Like Absolutely. I've never been in middle school. Like who are these people? Like how are you supposed to operate yeah. when you're a not in the first day of school is yeah. something right. we all have had. Yeah. 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 And so yeah, it's a really good dramatization that is specific but then also has ripples that are accessible in all the other ways yeah you don't have to have moved to understand what she's going through although if you have moved sure god bless (laughs) god bless you pete doctor and he did move when he was young Mm -hmm. uh he moved his his folks moved them to europe for a while when Uh. he was really young and it was pretty devastating for him so also from minnesota currently lives in San Francisco area is all mm. I'm saying. But right. yeah. <laughs> Mentioning earlier just needing to have that kind of true catharsis in your in your own life experience mm-hmm. to really be able to transmit right. it through art. And I think that's something that I've learned in my kind of recent life. Cause I think I, I, I lived a lot like joy for a lot of my twenties. Mm. I think I was like, you know what? I'm going to be, you know, just really even keeled, like keep my life real simple. Like, you know, everything's going to be just mm-hmm. easy going. And it doesn't actually provide a whole lot of writing material. You know, I actually, <laughs> right. I actually, I've gotten a lot more writing material in the last few years of my life when I've kind of more just opened up to all different kinds of emotions and not protecting myself so much and just being more just open to whatever is going to happen and feeling it. 
And it's it's really kind of, if you want to be a writer, it's kind of necessary. You can't have that armor up. You really have to feel things and take risks and be vulnerable. Yeah. Yeah. I would say, yeah, don't go out and try to feel terrible. <laughs> no, but well, it, like you're saying, being open. It's more, yeah, it's it's instead of being like joy in this movie where you're kind of like papering over everything with like this facade. Mm. It's it's just if you actually, if, if life's happening, feel it as it's happening, not yeah, yeah. running away from all the feelings. Yeah. Because I think the opposite can be true, too, because I think I... I think oh, one right. of the reasons I <laughs> no, this, is, this is like our yin and yang. <laughs> right. yeah. I feel like I was very much a sadness person. And I like I liked that's one of the reasons I like this movie is that it, it's ultimate message is that it's like it's OK to be sad and like not oh my God, be were we like joy and sadness when we were like we're <laughs> making movies back in our early 20s probably i think we were kind of joy and sadness yeah, yeah okay but it, but it, yeah i feel like it's it's not necessarily about you know only you know joy is bad it's too much of anything is bad yeah. and right. i think there's especially i think as a art college student you can be really into like i just feel terrible and dark and like everything's like <laughs> right. emotional and like that's not helpful either like that's still one note and like yeah. calm I, down everything's fine i literally <laughs> remember like one of the first times we hung out you were like being super emo about like a girlfriend you broke up with recently or something and i was just like but like now like life's pretty good right like you know you can be free to do more stuff and then and you're just like not having it you're like no sadness is a more real emotion yeah yeah it was, it was like everything you're feeling alex is fake and what i'm feeling is real dude <laughs> I, I think that was emo yeah. I, I think my uh my transition was from like 90 percent bing bong when i was a kid <laughs> Just it like makes so much sense. right, just oh my like God, your bing bong, just whatever silliness, you know, yeah, part cat, part elephant, part dolphin, <laughs> uh, just whatever like silliness, whatever weird thing I personally like. I don't care what anyone else does. And then in my twenties, I became more like fear and, ang- and and anger based almost. Mm. It's like, well, I guess I need to be like a regular person, and when things don't work out, then I just get frustrated and whatever. And then my sort of realism, my sort of full circle was embracing like oh yeah didn't I used to like just silliness and like in this sort of now I feel like I'm I've sort of come around to a point where I'm just like comfortable with who I am and and with whatever dumb idea comes into my brain and like <laughs> able to embrace it and stuff you know yeah well it's interesting that they have you know we see the insides of other people's heads which I think is really good that's like one of my favorite parts it's, of the yeah. movie yeah. but I'm yeah. glad it's I'm glad it's only like one-off jokes yeah you know? I yeah. agree yeah. so well done though but yeah. it is interesting when we see the insides of other people's heads different emotions seem to be the leader right, seem to right. be driving yeah so in in Riley's head obviously joy is the leader there's no question that she's the boss right everyone else treats her like she's in charge um and and she is directing sort of the whole thing. They don't know what to do without her. When she's missing, right. it's like, what would Joy do? What do we do? Exactly. Right. But then in other people's heads, other emotions are driving. So like in her mom's head, sadness is the yeah, one that's yeah. in charge brilliant. in the middle of the console. It's so brilliant. Ooh, yeah. which is chilling. And she's not even acting like Riley's sadness necessarily. She's very uh-huh. matter of fact. She's very in control. She's in charge. It's mature. It's like a but mature she's sadness. sadness. Mm-hmm. Right. I, it just makes and, you and, wonder about that character. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And then in the dad's head, more anger. It's it, it's anger driving. I don't remember. Well, what anger is driving. Yeah. Anger's driving. He said it's like there's five angers almost. <laughs> <laughs> almost. Yeah. Seriously, it's good. Yeah. 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 Well, I think again to talk about story structure, uh, I think that the, the Another reason I like this is it's an example of what I think like the hero's journey archetypal, all that stuff is supposed to be doing is kind of 
pitting, you know, opposing ideas together and then at the end providing a synthesis of those things um, mm-hmm. where it's like, yeah, it, it's literally joy and sadness have to hold the sphere together. Right. Yeah. And I feel like it just reflects like our experiences where like, you mm-hmm. know, like Brian, you're saying you started on one side and then and I feel like that was how I was where I was sadness. And then I was like, okay, it's time to get over that. And then kind of only as you get older, you kind of allow yourself to have those know how to navigate emotions and be like it's okay to have conflicting emo- like mm-hmm. it's multicolor spherical memory balls yeah. Yeah. exactly yeah. um so i also just, i appreciate that about this story is that it's an example of how to tell a story about these kind of abstract ideas but make it really concrete and you know yeah there are balls that are different colors and that represents this thing but it works and affects you emotionally in all these ways. I mean, it, yeah, we've already said this, but just once again, what a gift to provide literally yes. a, like a visual yeah. vocabulary to humans yeah. <laughs> to talk about things right. that are difficult to talk about. One one really well-observed few moments, but few moments throughout here are the relationship between Riley and her parents and how the pressures of the parents affect Riley's like emotionality. And because, you know, when you're really young, like a really young child is not really capable of considering the needs of their parents. That's kind of what, you know, thinking outside of your own immediate needs is sort of like what maturity is, you know, the the bigger picture we're able to, to create for ourselves, uh, the bigger imagination of, what is everyone around me feeling? You know, that's empathy and then trying to meet others' needs. Yeah, I'm not so, there yet. <laughs> no shock, Brian. But that scene where her mom, they're they're all ready. Everyone is ready to be mad about the move. They're ready to like scowl at the mom. And she comes in and she says, thank you. You've been such a big help to us. Like your happiness is a gift to us in this difficult time. And immediately everyone in the console area is like, oh, we're team happy now. That's right, because that's what mom needs from us. It's mm. really well observed, especially that age, that on that brink of adolescence where you start to look at your parents and go, what's going on in there? What do they need from me? Mm-hmm. Like, how can I, how am I affecting them rather than just being, you know, in the childhood position, which is developmentally normal in the childhood position of thinking only about what your own emotions are passing moment to moment. Right. And it, it's, I feel like that's another cry moment for me <laughs> is at the yeah. end where she tells her parents, like, I know you guys want me to be happy and yeah. I tried, but like, I mm. can't sometimes I'm yeah. sad. And like that they kind of have to like allow her to not be happy too. Exactly. Like yeah. 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 <laughs> Can we talk about uh, the voice acting? Can we please? Because oh everybody in this movie is so perfect. amazing. They are perfect. The perfectly absolutely. cast across oh my the gosh. board. Amy Poehler, oh, so yeah. good. All of these little moments. I was I was rewatching part of it this morning. I think as you were also, Brian. And when she realizes there's this moment where sadness is lying on the ground and they're in long term memory, <laughs> yeah. and she realizes that sadness has read the manuals and can and she goes. She goes, you've read the manuals. <laughs> like this sort of laugh or like, Eah! you know, she makes this sound that's just like, I've solved it. This yeah. sound is like, you will be my map. That moment is pure Amy Poehler. Yeah, like, yeah. Just this like moment of glee where you've realized you fixed something. Right. She's the only reason that character works so well. Right. I would also say like that's kind of Leslie Nope from Parks and Rec. Oh, of course also. it it's is. It's just yeah. sort of like right. always optimistic even when she's maybe not 
actually feeling quite that way. And in my rewatch of The Office, it was fun seeing Phyllis again. Oh, yeah. Yes. 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 She's amazing. Oh, it's like how no one else could possibly. Right. right. It's amazing casting. Yeah. I feel like casting Louis Black is cheating. I mean, it is, <laughs> <It's>, seriously. Yeah. <laughs> It's just like, who should we get to play anger? Louis Black? Okay. Perfect. Okay. Right. Done. Done. I, really, I mean, his performance is awesome. Oh, of course though. it is. Yeah, yeah. Because yeah. that's what you were saying. The trick is to make one, essentially one emotion characters, multidimensional, right. fully realized characters. Which is also a job for the actors themselves. Exactly. Yeah. And his performance as anger, but really everybody really embodies that where they skew one direction and of course the writing's so good as well but they skew one direction towards one emotion Mindy Kaling <laughs> every word of her delivery is Perfect. just dripping yeah. in sarcasm it's amazing yeah. but yeah they skew one direction but they still go through all this stuff so you know when joy isn't there and they're worried about driving like how can we how could we possibly be joy they're all tackling a problem in their own way going through the whole like crisis of like i can't be joy i'm anger it gives them that three-dimensional quality right and they're like they're fun and like funny about it too like it's Mm -hmm. fun to spend time with them right so it's not like we're annoyed that we're spending time with these other characters we have to cut away from joy or whatever yeah bill hater is yeah, I was gonna say, Bill Hader, if you're listening, nothing wrong with your performance. Just your character doesn't do much in the movie. <laughs> <laughs> he's just kind of there too, which is weird considering I mean, he's supposed to be like a main character. Yeah, I, oh, I yeah. feel like he's the most like comic reliefy. Sure, definitely, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. which is perfect for Bill Hader. Yeah, and then Kyle MacLachlan and Diane Lane. Yeah, who like even rewatching it, I was just like the parents. Yeah. Oh, I didn't even know that. Yeah, oh, I didn't know that either. Come on now, because why would you? Because they sound not right. Yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. I had no idea. And Rashida Jones is in there somewhere as a small voice. So it's just yeah, like the whole is. cast of like The Office and Parks and Rec. It is. Yeah, it's like all the NBC comedies uh, yeah. got together and <laughs> inhabited this girl's brain. Bing Bong. I have it right uh, Richard here. Kind. Thank you. Right. Yeah, Richard yeah. Kind is Bing Bong. Yeah. The Bing Bong character, when I first watched this, I wasn't sure that he was working for me. Mm. I did not like Bing Bong. Okay. But so, that's partially because the idea of an imaginary friend creeps me out. Wait, Michael, explain more about that because you mentioned that earlier. I don't know what else there is to explain about it. Just <laughs> so, so are you like haunted by the idea that like psych, like a child is like maybe hallucinating like a ghost being? Like, wait, what, what, like what is like, what's scary about it? Yeah. Standing in the corner, bing, yeah. <laughs> Maybe I don't know. Like I don't think it's even that rational, or that I've thought about it. Isn't it more like imagination play? Like like that. Like imagination. Like I get like you know, and that the the floor is lava. Like a hundred percent. Like I love that they do that. (laughs) Uh I'm on board with that. But to have like like a persistent entity with a personality that you call upon multiple times to interact with and be your companion. I mean, for some reason that disturbs me. How different is it than being a writer though? And having these characters that you fully realize, imagine come up with that are Mm -hmm. then talking to you and through you essentially that are not you, but they are imaginary friends. Yeah. I don't know that I would call them friends. I have no problem with other people having imaginary (laughs) friends. It's just the idea of it. Well, it, I think that would disturb. Well, me. did you think? Well, I think, I think that I'm still trying to figure out the disturbing part. Is it? Is it because it's maybe supernatural in origin, or like is like what is scary about it? To I, you? I don't know. I think it's just something like unsettling. Like I feel like if I walked into a room and there was like a 
a child like talking to a doll in oh, the corner for like right. a long period of time and like the doll seemed to have its own desires and will i don't know if you there's clearly something don't i think hang it's, out with kids I, think very it's much, supernatu- I think it's supernatural in origin for you probably yeah. there's probably some deep-seated something in yeah. there but i had an anyway. imaginary friend his name was dip that's pretty much all i remember wow about him, so. oh so you actually had an imaginary yeah. friend I, I, I didn't so have a lot many. of a lot of real ones. I just had a lot of Jurassic Park toys and <laughs> Star Trek toys. Right. Maybe that was like as growing up essentially as an only child, I did have a ton of toys. So maybe it was my privilege to not. Right. Well, I'm sure that you <laughs> did you not name your toys and give them personalities and then like play imaginary games with them where there are like storylines and they're inhabiting their own world. I think all my toys were from property. So it was like, you know, I would make I would take Woody and he would go on a journey with Buzz and I would reenact Toy Story and like create my own like stories sprawling out of Toy Story. But it was kind of always over the Ninja Turtles or I expanded universe. It's yeah. very normal to have imaginary friends. Not and I it's think bad. that I I agree He's with just you terrified that of it. I, clearly I agree with you that the Bing Bong character is a little bit iffy for me in different moments. In some moments, I think the Big Bang character is super important and really works. I think that in other ways, I wonder if that sort of moment for Joy could have been illustrated a different way. Because the, the idea of the Big Bang character is to get her to that place that we talked about, to into that low point where she then has to sacrifice something. She has to realize that she's embracing sadness. But... I wonder if there was another way to do it that didn't involve the Big Mom character because at moments, at some moments, I'm like, he's just kind of being comic relief or he's kind of being an emotional, I don't know, cheat code kind of <laughs> like, yeah, because that moment when he he does vanish and he willingly goes into the unconscious is so poignant for those of us that have forgotten things from our childhood that we are never going to remember. It almost is that Toy Story 3 right. thing where it's like, right. I'm sad about all the toys I ever gave up, you know, being able to create that sense of nostalgia and attachment that we used to have to inanimate objects or ideas, right? That's a critical part of childhood is assigning emotionality to these things because they help us enact and understand the world. And so I think that in some ways it's sort of cheating to have a bing bong character, but at the same time, it's beautiful and says something truthful about what it is to be a kid well yeah, and why not have a bing bong character sure I, yeah i did appreciate that literal visual representation of a piece of childhood being forgotten mm. and i think it's yeah. that's why that scene is devastating that's yeah. the most yeah. that's the most cry prone moment for me yeah because <laughs> it's, it's that feeling of like oh wow there are irretrievable things that are lost when you transition out of childhood into right. adulthood yeah. and i think like I wouldn't be surprised if the initial idea was to have a forgotten emotion be the character they mm. found out in the wilderness. Uh, like, you know, let's say excitement or something like that. Like something oh. that like maybe... I hope she can get wonder. excited again. No, but but, yeah. that, but that's my point is that mm. like we all have those moments where we you go through years of your lives without maybe having experienced right? certain emotion, but you can't kill off an emotion because mm. then right. that suggests she'll never have that again. Right. So to replace that idea with an imaginary friend who doesn't mean you can't still be silly and still maybe remember bing bong once in a while but to have that be the thing that you discarded once upon a time and you kind of have to get rid of in order to grow up as much as it hurts you know i think like for at least from a writing perspective like that's why bing bong i think makes about as much sense as you could possibly think of no and ultimately i i'm not saying i would have done anything differently i think it 
I think the exact manifestation of that character is one that I find at times more resonant than others. So like, okay, he's cotton candy and he cries candy and <laughs> he has a magical, you know, wagon. Okay. It's, right. it's goofy yeah, yeah. in a way yeah. that sometimes I think steals some of the emotionality out from having, look, what if her imaginary friend, ooh, I don't know if I, I'm actually trying to pitch this, but what if her imaginary <laughs> friend was more like a person, more it, like yeah. Riley it would be even spookier and, and probably in a way that wouldn't be fun at all. It'd probably the right. thing that Michael would be afraid of. Right. <laughs> <laughs> well, because I think, I think what you're saying is I think kind of true, which is Bing Bong is kind of the most on the nose, like almost stereotype version of like, right. what was a little girl think is the most fun thing? It's like candy and dolphins. And yeah. right. you know, it, it's like, it's just the most obvious stuff. Sure. Which is kind of, but maybe that works. because It's just, you get yeah. it and it's easy and it's fun. I remember visiting my friends uh, and they had uh, her, their daughter was, probably five or six at the time. And we did end up watching Inside Out on that trip. But at one point she got inside a box that was that she had decorated. Of course. And she said, push me. And I said, uh, where to? And she said, space, of course. Yep. <laughs> you know? I love You're it. bing bong. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Like You are bing bong. <laughs> <laughs> right? oh, oh, I know. Uh, but I mean, but that, that is what your imagination is, is that, that, you know, it's a bing bong is sort of like a great, re- even though it's, yeah, it's goofy. It is sort of a great representation of like that child logic that doesn't need to make sense. And I guess then it does that it feels weird to us as not children anymore. Maybe Speak just for adds yourself. to that. <laughs> but that, yeah, that it, that we can have this reaction of like, yeah, bing bong, iffy. Like, I feel like that is a kind of an adult right. response. Way to How many kids it. are probably picking apart bing bong right. the way we are right now. Sure. <laughs> but I feel like that, yeah, that bing bong moment, even though I don't, you know, the idea of an imaginary friend is creepy. I think it completely works for me. <laughs> Let it be known. Michael finds the idea of imaginary friends of children to be very disturbing. Michael, I don't know if we would have been friends when we were kids. Probably not. <laughs> no. Wait, is this so. why you don't like E.T.? This is why. Oh, we oh this it ties all. in with E.T., doesn't yeah. it? Oh, I maybe. It. Full circle. Oh, oh my God. Because, yeah, E.T. It. creeps me out. I mean, but He's it is, basically an imaginary he's friend. He's an imaginary friend, and it's basically oh, about the love ooh, of a child like for an imaginary friend or... Yeah, a lonely child and how our imaginations make us feel less lonely. And you don't like it. I'm <laughs> Michael's shaking his head. extremely uncomfortable right now. <laughs> I do not like this revelation. Um, oh, no. But the, the, I think story-wise, I really appreciate, you know, like when you're saying, Alex, that Pixar goes there. I feel like the bing bong yes. moment is such a great moment for that. And I think it's yeah. another... Um, great example of a lesson to be taken from that I take from it anyways, that a sacrifice has to be made for the protagonist mm-hmm. to like grow. And I think that makes the growing so much more powerful. And I think Bing Bong is such an intense sacrifice because, yeah. you know, like we've said, it's it's childhood. It's childhood, <laughs> right? Like, yeah. we're not going to lie. Like, as you grow up, you're going to forget things that were amazing and you'll never have them again. And that's yeah. just part of growing up. And so I love that they go there and make that joyous sacrifice so it all feels just that much more yeah. earned. Right. And I think when I movies that really move me, we may have mentioned this before, but uh, they're always bittersweet. If they're just very depressing and dour and like, you know, life is hell, mm-hmm. I kind of just detach and it's like, now I'm just watching this as a piece of art and I don't really care. But when they're bittersweet, when they, you know, they show both the joy of life, literally, um, <laughs> but also that, yeah, there's like real loss that comes along with that joy. That's when it hits me hard because that's really, I think, the most honest representation of our life experience. 
Well, to me, the scariest moment in this, yeah, or most upsetting moment in this is where Riley is running away and the console starts to go dark. Right. Yeah. Like she's emotionally shutting Mm -hmm. down in a really upsetting way where you're just like, you could feel all the sadness in the world, but that's that's so much better than being emotionally shut down. And so it's what we were saying earlier about being open to all of those feelings where the real moment where you start to feel the stakes. I mean, for me, when she starts to lose her islands of personality, mm-hmm. it's, intense. it's really intense. <laughs> it goes there. Oh, yeah. You change. Yeah. You, you lose your interest that you had when like you were Friendship younger. Island yeah. falls into the like, family <laughs> island. Please falls into the abyss. It's so upsetting because it it again is this sense of like loss of your own fully realized humanity or our soul, I mm-hmm. guess is a word I'm looking for. These things that make us who we are and all of the range of feelings that we have. Like feeling all of those things is so much better than feeling none of them. Right. And so when that moment is happening and the console is going dark, a such a brilliant visual representation Mm. of what it is like to shut down emotionally, um, you know, and close those doors and resolve to feel nothing. Just really, really good. But then the weight of it, we realize that's where all of this is leading. When you lose all of your islands of personality, all of your core memories, that these things that you use to define yourself, that you use to like access your own feelings when you lose those that's when you're really starting in danger of losing yourself. It's oh so intense. Yeah. But also in an interesting way, it allows for a new self to arise exactly. after it. So it's like there's a lot of loss, but then now we have the new complex emotions. You have kind of the new islands at the end. Yeah. So it's almost like this death was necessary. It's it's well, and uh, I feel like it's that it's also though that like it doesn't fully reach that point, right? She doesn't ever right. fully shut down. And I, I like that as being part of the cautionary tale of like if you don't let yourself feel these things that aren't mm. happiness like you could lose every like and I, I think that's probably how a lot of people in our society do deal with things they shut down they just shut down yeah and they don't look at social media <laughs> distract yourself all the time don't think about existential yeah. crises yeah. <laughs> yeah so i think that it was also really brilliant that that's kind of the stakes is that yeah. she's gonna die or something it's exactly like something more worse almost right. is is a loss of self. Yeah, it reminds me when we were talking about um, Infinity War and Endgame, we were talking about stakes and the how the stakes are the fate of the universe, you know, and it's just like, ah, and how <laughs> somehow it, it's really hard to connect to that sometimes. Alex, you were saying that like, I don't care, you know, I don't care. And you were saying that like a guy punching another guy is, you know, has to have the emotionality underneath of it. And I think this is an amazing example of how the stakes can be can feel huge while being really, really specific, really focused to this character in this situation. It's good, small, but it's everything to Riley. It is Riley herself that's on the line here for Joy. And so that, yeah, very, very well communicated. And that's why that moment where she then has to be vulnerable to her parents, like has to come back and tell them how she's feeling. Mm-hmm. Uh, is there anything harder <laughs> to do? Have, have you guys, I mean, else like listen to like, uh, is it Brene Brown? Yes, yeah, yeah. Her whole thing. I, I heard her on a podcast recently and she had, who's she? she? She had some TED Talks and has a new Netflix special. It's all about like, I think her special is called The Call to Courage. 
but you know she's very much all about researching um vulnerability basically that's like her like area of research and how base basically her discovery was that real courage equals being vulnerable like the, the, being like being courageous without vulnerability is not actually being courageous you're just kind of doing a shortcut safe thing and how really so many conflicts in the workplace um she's a she's a big consultant for corporations and it's all about people are just everybody's got their guard up their armor up nobody wants to say how they're actually feeling nobody wants to actually communicate clearly what stories going on in their head about their coworkers or about what their fears or and so many problems would be solved if people could just be vulnerable for that moment to clearly show what's going on inside of you and then people understand you and then the conflict can be solved yeah but that vulnerability thing is so hard for us to do it's and it's we need to do it though if we want to get anywhere (laughs) (laughs) there's nothing harder than saying as truthfully as you can exactly how you feel it's terrifying (laughs) yeah this had a weird thing jumped in my head, which is um, the show Girls, which is okay, you know yeah. very different from Inside Out. <laughs> sure, um, uh-huh. but one of the reasons I and a, and a couple of people I know fell in love with Adam Driver's character on that show was that he would just make sounds related to whatever he was feeling. So she would say like, "Hey, do you mind if I spend the night?" He'd be like, "Sure," you know, or whatever. <laughs> like, but it was just such an interesting thing to watch because it's like, oh, here's someone. Uh, you know, almost like Ricky in American Beauty. Like here's someone who just mm. has no, there, there is no facade that he's just like says whatever's on his mind or just makes sounds about whatever's whatever. Yeah. But it was just sort of that feeling of watching a character who doesn't have that, those walls up. And it's just sort of, they're there and they're honest. And it's, it can be challenging, but also a relief to watch a character like that. So Absolutely. What, and part, I think one of the things that Brené Brown says too, is that like, just always being way too forthcoming about everything all the time is not like courageous vulnerability, like right. oversharing all the time or just, you know, always just blahing yourself at everybody is actually a weird defense mechanism in a right. way. It's like, I'm going to tell you all these deep things about myself right away, like, so I can know if I can trust you or not. Right. So it's like not saying that, like, don't yeah, yeah, sure. yeah. vulnerability, <laughs> like, you know, in a in an intentional way to solve problems, not, right. you know, always spilling your guts to everybody you meet. Talking about like not being able to go back to your childhood and that kind of thing. I got I had a kind of a nice moment with this movie, which was when they get on the uh, the train of thought. Oh yeah, um, and it was you know <laughs> so, so just good. sort of like oh one of those like punny little things. It reminded me of this book I loved as a kid. Has anyone ever read the Phantom Tollbooth? Of course. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yes. So so I love that book as a kid, and it's all full of that kind of like you know there's the the spelling bee who's a yeah, bee who yeah, spells. Yeah. There's a watchdog yeah. who's part watch part dog, and right. um, <laughs> and the estranged kingdoms of uh, Dictionopolis and Digitopolis where mm-hmm. you know words and numbers are uh, and. Um, and I, uh, I was like, I want to go read that book again. So it's I, great. over the last week, I, re- I reread the Phantom Toll Booth, Yay! and it's still just so charming, and, and it just made <laughs> it like really brought it back. And then I watched the uh, the movie, which oh, I don't no. think I'd ever seen. It's, oh, it's, they it's, made it's, a movie. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's actually directed, co-directed by Chuck Jones. So and it has like voices of Mel Blanc and June Foray and like some of those greats. So it it's beautiful in the sense that it looks like you know Looney Tunes cartoons and that kind of thing. But it's kind of a goofy movie and not a great adaptation. Mm-hmm. Book, but it's not terrible. It has songs, which I don't know why it does. Anyway, <laughs> I love the uh, the jump to conclusions where yeah, the yeah. conclusions is Very this island, space. and like you have to like jump to conclusions. <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> jump to conclusions, Matt. Yeah. I also just love that, like the little kind of throwaway pun of the, like they mix up the like the facts and opinions. And yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, the same. Those get mixed it's up all the time. So right. good. Yeah. It's like these facts and opinions look pretty similar. Yeah. Ah, just throw them in the box. <laughs> I feel like that's one of those moments in the movie where just like I'm just like this movie's winning. Yeah. Right. It just, it just, it's such a short moment, but it's it's so brilliant. Right. You just have yeah. so many of those. I remember in they the do. theater, the like the audience like erupting in laughter in that moment. <laughs> yeah. And it's just like such a clear moment of like, okay, they have us. Like, right. Right. Yeah. 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 That totally and so that's a good. joke like for adults right of course. Right. yeah well one of my favorite moments is when they go through the abstract thought where it's like we're abstracting here are the four levels and the animation goes totally insane and they just become like colors and to get out of there they have to like just like fall on your face and then they become lines and they're like it's so uh, yeah it's so good so it's so like an experimental like, that man, right short yeah. in the it's almost like the they could have put that in the middle of any movie but right. they're like this seems like a good one for seriously it. yeah yeah Cool. Well, why don't we go around and talk about what lessons we're going to take away from... Should we also talk about how we're really feeling today? (laughs) I mean, if if you want. Get real, real. Who's driving? (laughs) Yeah, who's Um, driving? (laughs) (laughs) Who's driving today? That's the question. But yeah, so lessons to take away from Inside Out. Bren, you want to start us off? Uh, Yeah, Alex um, pretty much touched on what my lesson, I think, is the, the strongest one that stuck with me, which is as you talk about in your, in your video, Michael, the process you have to get to, to come to sort of the obvious thing, you know, joy's foil being sadness seems like in my mind, that would be what the, the point of the movie is. Let's make a movie about joy having to accept sadness. And that didn't even become what the movie was until three, you know, two years or three years into the process or something. Um, and I think it's, uh, Alex, as you also said, like not, relying on that first idea you had we find that a lot with our lessons from the screenplay videos too like Mm -hmm. the first idea that we makes us think this is what we want to talk about by the end it's like that's not even really relevant anymore for the video that we're making um but uh uh but yeah so it's just that like sometimes it just takes a lot of work and a lot of back and forth and a lot of really like hammering your head an idea sometimes to come to the most obvious thing listen to a podcast with Marcus and Mafili who wrote uh, Infinity War and Endgame and they were saying some of those fan service moments you know I am Iron Man or whatever like it was almost the too obvious thing at the beginning and then they spent several drafts coming up with different things and by the end they're like no the obvious thing is the way to go but it's almost it's stronger to come to that conclusion after throwing out all the other ideas than to just come to that conclusion from just saying oh that's the easy obvious thing to do so let's just do that you know? wait who's driving today brian uh bing bong <laughs> <laughs> always nice. well done nice alex what i took from this movie that really stuck with me watching it again especially was just how you can do this deep metaphorical allegory type storytelling without it feeling yeah too on the nose or too preachy or too just like oh it's mm. like hey look it's a movie about this like it it is all those things. It is extremely on the nose in a lot of ways, but the story is just so compelling. The characters are so good. You're just along for the ride. You're along for the story. You're not like, I'm watching this movie because it's good for me. And it's about really important themes that I should know more about. And it's a good lesson for myself as a writer because I often start with big ideas. It's like, I want to make a movie about this theme or this technology or this social Mm -hmm. thing happening right now. And it's just a good reminder of like, you can do that. But it it only works if it's like Inside Out, where, yeah, it's literally about that theme, but the story and the characters are just so compelling. Even if you didn't get any of that, that's what pulls you through the movie. So I think it's just a good example of 
very on the nose, very much about this kind of almost science, psychology, social stuff. But it doesn't, you don't need to, that's not what it's about. It's about the characters and it's about the journey and it's just great storytelling. Yeah. Disgust is driving for you today or? (laughs) (laughs) Am I coming off as disgusted? No. No. I'm very even keeled right now. So I don't don't feel any particular driver at this moment. Yeah. They're all kind of balanced. They're all just kicking back. (laughs) Trisha? The catharsis piece that we were talking about earlier I feel like I get into my head a lot when I'm working on projects and I am trying to write something and I'm just trying to be smart. You know, kind of what you were saying, Alex, where you're just like, I want to detach from what I'm writing and just like Mm. say something because I think I'm brilliant and whatever. Mm -hmm. And having to be vulnerable in the things that you write is terrifying. And I was talking to somebody about this the other day and, and they said something like, how do you know how do you you come across as really confident and is that true like do you really feel confident in your life and i was like <laughs> <laughs> just in that and i was like yes in the sense that i practice being confident so it's not a veneer or like a false thing but it's a lot of work it's an interior work and i think that as writers we have a responsibility to do the interior work whether that's in therapy or whether that's in our writing or both um or in our relationships whatever it is doing that work on ourselves so as to fully be ourselves in this world as vulnerably and bravely as we can day to day. Because that's truly all that we have to give to this world is ourselves. And that is what we are obligated to do if we are writers and filmmakers. And and so it's terrifying, but I really respect that about this movie and Pete Doctor. And it's a call. It's a challenge. Yeah. Awesome. Who's driving? <laughs> yeah, you can't get out of this. <laughs> wait a, I was about to like do it to minute. myself, and I was like, maybe they won't remember. Um, I don't know. It's probably sadness today, actually, to be truthful, but only because I'm kind of in pain, and <laughs> I have a, I have a scratch on my eyeball, which is totally insane. And, and the guys have been very patient with me, but I it's just I feel whiny and I feel mad, and maybe it's anger. Anger, sadness, somewhere in there. My memories are blue and red. Right. <laughs> Maybe we'll put a picture of your eye in the show no, notes. Please don't. <laughs> no. What well, you're not hearing out there is we did put Trish in a different room so we didn't have to look at her. Eye. <laughs> <laughs> it's horrifying. It's more it's scarier than Bing Bong. <laughs> Nothing is scarier than Bing Bong. Yeah, I think my lesson is sort of what I've already talked about. The, the moment Bing Bong being left behind creepy as he is that i think that the level of sacrifice needed i think is something that Mm. it just really resonated with me that like the stories i really love and i'm touched by are when people like if they mess up they mess up in like a big way and you feel it and it's you know it's not kind of a a fake death where the bad guys get away and it looks like oh maybe they're not going to catch them but then they do like in this movie you lose bing bong you lose childhood like that's such an, a huge yeah. thing. And I think that, you know, there's a reason that's the scene that everyone remembers. And like you say, like inside out and people like bing bong, right? And exactly. They do. Like, yeah. yeah. Uh, so I think just that's something I've taken away is the importance of going there, making us care about something that the protagonist cares about and then sacrificing it if that's the thing they need to complete their journey, I think is an important lesson. Yeah. 
yeah. intense, but yeah. Yeah. Who's driving? Anxiety? <laughs> <laughs> oh, is that an option? <laughs> yeah, anxiety would be a good one. Yeah. Because is that just fear? I guess. Yeah. 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 Probably fear. I feel like. You know what? I feel like fear most gets days, a bad rep. Fear keeps you safe. To, yeah. Like when she's running around and she's about to trip on the cord, fear is like, whoa, whoa, whoa. Let's navigate this properly, then continue on. I feel like fear is an important part of any personality. My, Michael's head is just five different, slightly different yeah. versions of fear. Perfect. It's like, yeah, they're all the same like yeah. body type. It's fear, yeah, worry, archetype. anxiety, <laughs> apprehension, and doubt. <laughs> Uh, I love it. Perfect. Somewhere Joy is looking through the window. <laughs> uh, all right, cool. Really quick, what have we been watching this week? Trisha. Uh, so I recently saw a, a new movie uh, that just came out like last month, and it's Mary Magdalene. It's starring Rooney Mara, Joaquin Phoenix, uh, and Chiwetel Age of Four, directed by Garth Davis. And it is a very ethereal sort of Terrence Malicky thoughtful poem of a movie about Mary Magdalene who is a character from the Bible that gets a bad rap because the church purposefully the church proper purposefully smeared her reputation for centuries um and so this is a much more humanizing look at her uh Joaquin Phoenix plays Jesus and and Rooney Mars performance is really lovely not a lot it's not like a an intense plot movie. If you like <laughs> Terrence Malick movies and you have a tolerance for something that is, again, more like sort of lyrical exploration of an idea and a mood rather than a movie, you'll probably really like it, especially if you have any sort of interest in like the Bible or, or the history of Christianity and the religion. Um, so it's, I don't know. I just really, really liked it. I loved how it was shot. And the text itself is not straight out of the bible the text is sort of interpretive in a way that i really like so yeah check it out awesome mm. alex so i just started watching pen 15 on hulu yeah oh my god i love it so much yeah. <laughs> i instantly fell in love and i realized the creators um maya erskine and anna conkle they were both born my birth year 1987 uh -huh. so it's literally the year i was going like to middle school is what is when it takes place um so it's all the same music all the same everything gel pens like, yeah. and, and the, the brilliant part is you know they're in their early 30s playing their 13 year old selves so they kind of have this perspective on it and they're like really smart about it and they they just capture it so amazingly so i highly recommend pen 15 on hulu so much fun and if you're about our age you know in your early 30s it's like i've never seen our middle school experience that literalized in a show i second the motion yeah so check it out cool brian well michael uh there comes a time in every relationship where you have to admit certain things to someone um <laughs> oh. so it's what? time for me to tell you that uh until recently i had never seen the west wing <gasps> jacques hughes <laughs> I know. that's not that bad it's the best well, show ever yeah it's bad if, it's bad if you know michael yeah. right um, right uh, I'd seen every other Aaron Sorkin show, every episode of all three of his others. Fascinating. Um, I know. You watched Studio 60 before the West Wing. I did, yeah. Okay. That is, that's actually, okay. that's weirder. Yeah. You've seen every well, other Aaron Sorkin on, show. Like, I wasn't watching stuff when the West Wing was right. originally on. Fair. Whereas when Studio 60 came, it was, oh, here's a new show I can watch, you know. Um, but uh, I started taking the Aaron Sorkin masterclass online. And if you've seen the trailer for this thing, which you probably have, if you ever turn on your computer, um, <laughs> right. you know, you hear that he's also never seen anything from seasons five, six or seven of the show. 
So he and the team of writers, the sort of finale of the masterclass is that they uh, break the teaser and first act of season five, episode one. So what sort of the Sorkin version would have been mm. with these writers throwing out ideas. It's almost and, kind of tragic. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, so I thought, okay, I, I watched the masterclass up until that point And I said, okay, you know what? I'm going to go watch the first four seasons. So I watched the first four seasons of the West Wing, then watched Aaron Sorkin figure out what season five, episode one would have been. And then went and watched season five, episode one. And now I'm slowly working my way through the rest of the show, which is, feels like a very different show, but not a bad show by any means. Got to power I, through season five. Yeah, yeah. By, yeah. By the last few seasons, I liked it again. But mm-hmm. I remember season five felt pretty weird to me. It's pretty dark. It's, yeah, it's also it's interesting not. that like the directing style changes and just the quality of the show changes mm-hmm. from a uh, camera. So it's like you're going from 4.3 into 16.9. Uh, over the course of the show and you're like going into like shaky cam mode and stuff so like the show just feels like a different show because tv was evolving at that time too so that's yeah. that makes it almost weird because you're like oh it's the same characters in this like almost different universe right. um but anyway the yeah. director left at the same time the director that started it thomas shalami yeah yeah left. so yeah the the west wing is a good show guys <laughs> which episode Check was your out. favorite um i mean it's hard not to like appreciate two cathedrals because i because of what it is mm-hmm. um i can't think of any others off the top of my head just because i was sort of powering through it so it's like there were moments that were like oh there it is you know um i'm just waiting for josh and donna to get together and that's all i care mm-hmm. about at this point well they want that well i'm happy you name dropped two cathedrals obviously that's all i was looking for <laughs> yeah I, I knew i knew it was yeah, yeah. <laughs> michael uh all right me um <laughs> i so i finally finished the office so I can't Yay. talk about the office Thank anymore. Goodness. I haven't used that like two or three times in the show. I, 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 I don't think we've released the second time you mentioned it. Oh, there, yeah. There, there are some mystery podcasts out there you may hear something. <laughs> uh, it's just me talking about the office. So I finished that. So the next comedy I wanted to catch up on was Kimmy Schmidt. So I started the part two of the final season mm. of Kimmy Schmidt. And it's like, it's okay. It basically makes me miss 30 Rock and yeah. how yeah. genius 30 Rock was and right. is. Yes. Um, so maybe just go rewatch 30 Rock. That's yeah. My, yeah. That's my recommendation. I will say having, not to spoil anything, but having seen all of the end of Kimmy Schmidt. Yeah. 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 Some of it was great, but. Yeah. Yeah. It yeah. It's a great to, show overall. It seems but, yeah. to be really hard to end things. It's a recurring pattern <laughs> yeah. of things. I've Except noticed, for Endgame, noticed, apparently. Yeah. Right. Yeah. We are recording this on the uh, about four hours before Game of Thrones <laughs> yes, season right. uh, series before they come up. in and fix it all. Yeah, and somehow. make it all worth it. <laughs> where we all go, oh, okay. Yeah. So all of you listeners it all in the made future sense. have already yeah. it all made sense. Yeah. <laughs> awesome. Well, I hope you enjoyed this episode of Beyond the Screenplay. Subscribe wherever you get your podcasts and leave us a review on iTunes. It helps us quite a bit. Uh, and tweet at us. Let us know what you like, what you don't like. Just want to say hi. Tweet us. Uh, my Twitter is at Michael Tucker LA. I'm at Trisha Jean A. It's Trisha with a CIA. At Brian Bittner. At Alex underscore Cayeros. Awesome. And we will see you in the next episode. Bye, everybody. Bing bong, bing bong. <laughs> no. <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>